And with that, friends, we welcome you back to another episode of the One Giant Podcast, where as always, I am Adam Armbrecht, joined by the healthy, wealthy, and wise Andy Makowitz. Adam, it looks like this is the last warm weather weekend of the year. What are you doing this weekend? You know, I was hoping to soak in the Sunday matchup between Big Blue and the San Francisco 49ers, as we will discuss. Uh, And I was trying to find just the ideal setting. Where do I go that I know I'm going to get some quality beverages? That I'm maybe going to get a beautiful brunch spread that's going to involve some some just custom-made meals, uh, some charcuterie, obviously. And I've got a little place up in Woodridge, New Jersey. I don't know if you heard of the spot. It's Kelly's Tavern. It's Kelly's Tavern. It's right. It is a, just a stone's throw away from the stadium. You can almost smell the football in the air. You know, it's it's great that the name of the tavern is my wife's name, yet I'm the one that's going to be preparing all the food and cooking everything here. So mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. gets all the accolades mm-hmm. and all the credit. And you know what? If I get to watch the game and sit on the couch and have a cocktail, she can have as much credit as she wants. Let's be fair here. I've run afoul of the misses. Uh, Listen, your wife, my friend, we have our own connection, you know, outside of what our relationship is. And unfortunately, I've had some missteps over the last couple of weeks. So I'm trying to butter that bread. I know she listens to the podcast, and this is just my my mea culpa. As we uh, look forward to that, it's going to be a lot of fun. First time we're going to get together uh, this NFL season. First time we're getting together in, in a long time, obviously, given the, the conditions of the world uh, over the last handful of months. But before we dive in on the official matchup, one little note here, there's a tie between these two teams in terms of Devontae Freeman when he was the running back there in Atlanta. Obviously, offensive coordinator for two seasons, Kyle Shanahan, had him as his running back, using him as a weapon. He was complimentary in the conversations, just saying that they're getting a heck of a player, heck of a locker room guy, uh, You know, very surface kind of stuff. I do like the fact that he's saying quality locker room guy because I think, again, we are always fans of bringing in high-character guys uh, for the Giants in this rebuild and inside the locker room. And when you lose Saquon Barkley, right, another guy who is the model citizen as your, your star franchise player, you want to replace him with a quality individual as well. The bigger take here, though, is breaking down that contract, that one-year $3 million deal. It includes a little over a million in base salary. You're also going to go ahead and get a per-game active bonus rate up to uh, I think 1.5 million in rushing yards per uh, rushing yards, excuse me, and touchdown incentives, a $250,000 Pro Bowl bonus, and a $250,000 First Team All Pro bonus. So, uh, before we really dive in, man, is that an indication to you of confidence that they want to, you know, they want to lay out some some real opportunities there, or is it more saying, boy, that three million dollar deal is a lot closer to two million, a lot closer to you know one point seven five ish for for a veteran running back to help fill out the room? Well, I think it, I think it's a couple a couple things. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You know, keep in mind that we're going into game three, so a portion of the season has already gone by. So you got to take that into account. The second is the Giants will gladly pay any of those bonus incentives if Devonta Freeman is a, is a first team All Pro. Like, we, <laughs> yeah. we, let's write that check right. Like, we'll figure it out. Like, I'll I'll email Mr. Mara right now, and he'll get he'll get the funds ready and available. But to me. Yeah, it, it seems like a very reasonable deal. You know, keep in mind, Freeman had gone around and visited the Eagles and other teams in the offseason trying to trying to get a deal, didn't like his circumstance, and he has made money in his NFL career. And now he's thinking, how, where can I get some you know real legitimate snaps this year to mm-hmm. showcase that I'm still 
young enough to be able to be the bell cow or, or, you know, help a team win. And then maybe he can, you know, latch onto that one last contract, maybe a three-year deal, $10 million, something, something in that range. Yeah, this is obviously a chance for him to at least reset his market and say, I'm, I'm still worth something on, on a team maybe competing next year for a championship. So best of luck to him. Yes. I mean, I mean, a perfect example, and while it's a different position and different everything else, but you, you look at it like what Ryan Tannehill did when he moved from Miami to Tennessee. It's like yeah. he, he took a, a smaller deal, said, I'll kind of be the backup. I know Marcus Mariota is injured. This, you know, for Devonta Freeman, it just so happens that Saquon's already injured. You know, Ryan Tannehill steps in, plays great for eight or nine games and gets a hundred million dollar contract. So like these things can happen very quickly yep. if he shows that he's fresh and healthy and helps the Giants in a big way. Hey, just uh, sorry, crazy random. Would the Giants ever would the Giants ever flip him if he was having a good run here? Like if he was having a good run going to the trade deadline, was there any chance that they'd be like, and also we'll go ahead and grab a fifth round pick for, you know, for Devontae Freeman because he is running so hot here. I, that that would be interesting. My answer would probably be no. no if he, yeah. if, he, if he's contributing, we still need to be competitive, and you don't know what's going to happen with Saquon's knee injury. If Devonta Freeman looks like he's meshing well with the team and gaining yards and gaining, and Daniel Jones is gaining his confidence, like to me, I think you got to stick with him, and and maybe he even sticks around next year. You know, depending on how things go. I was going to say there's 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 a world where it is Deion Lewis and Devontae Freeman supplementing hopefully the returning Saquon Barkley next season just to make sure you have stability there. So we won't belabor it. The other big thing, obviously, as we're trying to do all throughout this season, we got on yesterday with uh, Al Sacco of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle podcast, also writes for fourth and nine. So fantastic insights from him, had a great conversation around what do we need to be worried about from the San Francisco 49ers? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'd be better if um, half the 49ers team wasn't hurt, but you, sure, know, you sure. got to deal with cards you're dealt, I guess. So. <laughs> um, that's actually where we want to start here. So obviously the, tur- the turf was a concern for the 49ers overall coming out of the game. You were just in uh, New Jersey playing against the Jets last week. You chose actually the team to stay in Virginia as opposed to going all the way back to the West Coast. Is that still a concern for the 49ers? Is there any other information around that? Because what I'm kind of hearing is investigation from the NFL, maybe possible concerns that the Jets were were trying to tweak the field to at least make it a more difficult matchup for you guys, not necessarily looking to create these injuries, but trying to get a, let's say, competitive advantage. Yeah, the Niners were definitely upset and concerned about it after the game. Shanahan had said something and some of the players tweeted things out. And you look at whatever the situation is, whether it's just bad turf or, or God forbid if the Jets actually actually tried to do something like that. Because what you've seen happen now is major injuries to a team that had Super Bowl aspirations. You lose Nick Bosa, you can't replace Nick Bosa. It just can't happen. Solomon Thomas is a good role player on that defensive line. Raheem Mostert who's been their best offensive player now for, for, you know, a decent period of time. He's out for a few games, at least here, you would think Jimmy Garoppolo, although I, I don't know that his injury was related to the turf. It looked like it, that was more a late hit, but he goes down. So they've DJ Jones twisted an ankle. I, there's too many to even keep track of right now. So it was, it's, it's disappointing. And I know that the NFL was looking into it last I heard, I don't know that they had really found anything, but anytime something like that happens with that amount of injuries, it's it's definitely definitely a concern, and I'll, I'll ask you do, you: do you think Saquon's injury had anything to do? Obviously, he wasn't playing on the turf when he heard it, but maybe from playing on that turf, do you think that? Yeah, maybe it's did some damage, and then 
you was it's interesting right because so around the nfl in general right a lot of injuries have come up early in the season and you point to some things like well the lack of maybe a, a traditional training camp no preseason games sure. getting everyone to game shape that kind of stuff but then the, these big injuries are not you know acl injuries are not related to a lack of preparation or, or being able to get game ready i don't think so i mean you didn't hear anything from the giant side of things in terms of practicing on that field and, and going mm. into game day which is what made it kind of interesting this idea of the Jets preparing that field for that matchup and maybe saying, as we know, sometimes you go, you leave it a little bit longer, you you, you get it a little bit looser, you overwet the turf, and then your team is able to make the adjustments from cleats or spikes and that kind of stuff. So there hadn't been any concerns on the Giants' side of it, which is maybe what brings the, the biggest alarm bell of did, were the Jets really trying to impact the turf, even to a point of let's just slow down all the weapons for San Francisco offensively or make it harder to get uh, to Sam Darnold there from the defensive side of things? So I, I would hope not. We hadn't heard anything from it. I don't I, I certainly hope that it's not that Saquon Barkley's injury was at all related to the wear and tear that was going on from being on that field. So it'll be interesting to see if the NFL ultimately turns anything up in that regard and, and just from a, a baseline standpoint, as we've always said, when you see guys go down, an example of a Bosa as well, just like Saquon Barkley, you just feel terrible for the player because now it's just lost, yes. lost season, lost reps, and you hope that these guys come back as healthy as they were prior. But especially with those types of ACL injuries, there's no guarantee with that. And that becomes a really long road back for any player before you know who they are going to be going forward in their career. And it's bad for the NFL, too, when you're losing guys like Saquon and Christian McCaffrey's out and Bosa. It's just terrible for the league to, to lose these young stars, especially in a season like this. It's been it's been brutal early on. Not to mention, if it if it's anyone's concern around fantasy, I tell you what, when you're a homer like me and you go for Saquon Barkley because <laughs> you want him, the second that he goes down, you just go, well, there's no real there's no real replacing that, I guess. And you just start to to do that scramble. But that's that's certainly the footnote in regards to that. When you get into this injury now list for the 49ers, is there one, obviously Bose is the big name, Garoppolo, right now there's some, there's questionables at least there. They mentioned uh, Kittles being, maybe they're going to hold him out to not risk him. Where do you look at as far as Garoppolo, Kittles? Uh, I believe you have Mostert who's doubtful, but then you get Greenlaw who's a questionable as well. Are there any indications about which way the team is leaning right now before you come into this game? Well, Mullins is definitely going to get the start. It looks like most are going to be out. Like you said, Greenlaw will, will, will see on it. And and with Jimmy, they're, they're going to be careful. It's a minor high ankle sprain, I guess as minor as a high ankle sprain can be. So <laughs> there was some talk that, that maybe could he go this week, but it's safe for them just to go with Mullins and you, you, you got to let Jimmy get healthy there. So we'll see. I, I don't think this early in the season that they'll rush anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, they certainly have a deep team, especially the, the two top running backs are out, but there's enough there with Jeff Wilson and Jarek McKinnon to, to get it done. I, I think they're going to, they're going to be as careful as they can be this week. And then we'll see from there, but they're not going to risk a player like George Kittle with the concerns they had on the turf with his leg. They'll definitely hold him out this week and then get him back on the field next week. Now, when you talk about Kittle and you talk about this wide receiver core, where where do you look there as far as, uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is there last year. You have some young guys. You're still we- waiting for Debo to come back placed on that that few week IR stint with his injury concerns as well. Is, is there still enough there? And obviously you don't want to risk Kittle, but do the 49ers, should the 49ers feel comfortable enough with what they're going to put out there from a receiving perspective? Well, they shouldn't yet. There's a lot of question marks. There are a lot of injuries. Jalen Hurd goes out for the year, Debo. And we haven't seen Trent Taylor step up yet. 
he didn't play all last year, so he may need some time. Ayuk is a rookie. Not fair to really expect much out of him. Dante mm-hmm. Pettis, it's, it's been a disappearance. He hasn't done anything now in over a year. Um, Mohamed Sanu, we'll see if he gets any reps coming in new. And, and the guy that you really look to there is Kendrick Bourne, and he's been a good role player for them, but certainly not a number one receiver. But he's a guy who can get you four catches, 60 yards in that range. What I think you'll see again is the Niners throw a lot to the running backs and the, and the tight ends, like we saw last game. Jordan Reach be a big part of the game plan again. They'll get McKinnon going out of the backfield. That's going to be most of it. And of course, ideally, too, if they can run the ball, which is what they want to do first and foremost. If they can get their running game going, and then just rely on Mullins to kind of manage the game for them. Mullins did a good job overall in 2018 when he came in for them. He's a 23-year-old undrafted free agent at that point. He won three games. He put up good numbers. So certainly another year in that system, you're hopeful for him. He did look a little rusty last week, but we'll see how he comes out with a full week of practice. But listen, that offense, a lot of it looks like second half of a preseason game right now. It's a little bit scary. So you got to hope Shanahan can do his thing and, and, Mm -hmm. and they can put something together. And confidence then in Mullins, though, having he's obviously been with the team. So there, there's at least confidence from that standpoint of he can manage the game script that Shanahan puts out there for him. Oh, absolutely. And if you look at yeah. it in 2019 or 2018, and again, I, I can't stress enough, he was 23 years old, thrown into a situation, undrafted free agent. And if you look at those those eight starts, he did throw 10 interceptions, but he actually only threw eight interceptable passes on 274 attempts. That's a 2.9% interceptable. Um, rate which was good for sixth best in the league he also had the fifth best yards per attempt that year 8.3 the fifth best bad throw percentage 13.2 percent um he was first in actually um yak yards so yards after completion in 6.9 and in shanahan's offense that's what it's built for you want to throw to these guys and keep them running in space so if he's able to do that he'll be okay and that's the thing with mullins he, he's not a russell wilson guy who's going to put the game on his back but i think that he can run shanahan's offense and that's very important. So if he can take what's there, not make mistakes, and they can run the ball at all, which you would think they, sh- they should be able to, they'll be okay on offense. Well, and that's, I mean, it's always easier. And it's hard to say this from a Giants perspective. We haven't had the big success or stability or quality teams out there on the field the last couple of years. But it always, it's always easier to maybe steal a game or manage your way through a game or two throughout a season when you're dealing with not usually this many injuries. But when you feel like, this is a well-run organization. This is a well-run team under Shanahan. So you can plug in a guy like Mullins and say, we know what your baseline is. We know how to work with you and mitigate some of the risk or some of the potential concerns around mistakes that he could make. And that's just objectively, I always, it's hard for Giants fans right now. This is why it's so difficult to lose a player like Saquon on our side of things, because we're not a stable team. We're not, you know, the best we're hoping under Joe Judge, we can be a better run team. But the better teams in the league, they find ways to win games. They find ways to replace players. The teams that struggle are the ones that have a really hard time getting the receiver, getting the receiving yards when you lose your number one, finding a mm-hmm. way to spread that ball around in the backfield. So it feels like that's obviously on San Fran's side of things with their track record that you can say, hey, Mullins, you have some good stat lines there that we can build off of, and we're not going to ask you to go out there and win the game for us necessarily when you still have a solid running tack uh, behind him. If we flip over to the defensive side of things, mentioned slew of <laughs> injuries there as well mm-hmm. for San Francisco. You go back over the first two games of the season, even though you only gave up 104 yards to the Jets last week, averaging 142, Arizona running quarterback with Kyler Murray there. Is run defense with the injuries now that you're dealing with, even though the Giants aren't going to have Saquon Barkley, 
Is that the bigger concern here? Or are, especially when you look at the Giants matchup, are you looking on the outside? Are you looking at Evan Ingram? Where do you try to identify the the first and maybe second things that you want to shut down from a Giants offensive perspective? Well, I, I guess I'll answer that in terms of what the Niners want to do on defense, because mm-hmm. I say that if the Niners can do what they want to do, which is rush the passer, they're you know they're built on that front four, which right now is it doesn't doesn't live without Ford, without Bosa, without Buckner, who's obviously not with the team anymore. You know, it's you you wonder if they're going to be able to do what they want to do. But they Maybe have so much front, success against one right now for them. Yeah, really, really, <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a little scary. But that's what they want to do. They want to rush the passer. So if you get a quarterback who's not super mobile, the Niners can do what they want to do on defense. And honestly, it doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. But when you get a guy like Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson who cannot not just run around and wreak havoc, that's when they tend to have issues. So if they can get Jones to kind of stay in the pocket and get some kind of pressure, and you're talking to Eric Armstead, I guess he's going to have to earn his paycheck. Kerry Hyder's been good for them. He's been, he's been a good pickup, and he, he's, he's been good. But you're going to have to get guys to Contavious Street, and, and they picked up Ziggy Ansah, and, and Deion Jordan's coming off the practice squad. You're going to hope you can catch lightning in a bottle with those guys and get some pressure. And it'll certainly help, even with Richard Sherman out. Uh, Shepard's not going to play for you guys, and, and obviously you said without Barkley. So without some of those weapons for the Giants, I, I think it balances out. Ingram's a concern, but look, if the, the Niners, if it's in the slot, they have Quan Williams, who's one of the better slot corners in the league. Their linebackers can run. So the Niners, the whole thing is going to be if they can get to Jones. If they can do that, they can disrupt him. I think they're going to be okay. If he's got all day back there, and, and we'll see, you know, any quarterback can kind of kind of pick you apart. But have to see if the carry hiders can still show up, if, if Armstead mm-hmm. can continue to kind of carry that line, and, and if the Niners can do what they want to do on offense, or on defense, I should say. Does does Devontae Freeman is that does that enter the radar for the 49ers at all? Because I you know, even from a giant side of things, obviously we need to bring somebody in. We know that he he has been talented and, and has had success back with the Atlanta Falcons, but running backs tend to fall off a cliff. His yards per carry were down in his last season, in, in around three and a half yards. Does that really pop up on the radar for the 49ers defense coming into this week relative to saying, well, we'll, we'll be preparing for Deion Lewis and a dose of, of Wayne Gallman, and now you throw Freeman in there. Does that move the needle at all for them? Because even internally, I don't know if it moves the needle from a, from a Giants fan perspective. It's great to have another body, but I don't think he's a game changer in terms of impact and dictating any type of difference to the defense. And certainly he's coming off the couch pretty much too, right? So yeah. it's not something where he's going to come in and <laughs> you got to worry about him getting 10, 15 touches. They'll probably work him in slowly. But again, like you said, running backs tend to fall off a cliff. And he's probably, he's a name, you know, he's definitely a name for sure, but he's probably not the same guy that we saw two, three years ago. So I, I don't think so with them. And I, I would think that it, it will be a, a timeshare coming at, coming at yeah. San Francisco in terms of the running back situation. But Niners, Niners, they still have DJ Jones in the middle there. I still think they can stop the run. It's just going to be an issue of, again, to me, if they can rush the passer, if that pass mm-hmm. rushes there, because the secondary with, with without Sherman, Witherspoon's been up and down. He could have a good game, but he tends to get beat. Mosley's been fairly solid, but that's been with Sherman on the other side. And obviously, Kwan Williams is really good. So a lot of what they've done success-wise is based on that pass rush. So, so that's going to be the key more, more so than the run game. Yeah, and like you say, I think timeshare is the best thing that we're hoping for coming into it. And hey, listen, maybe that creates a wrinkle for the 49ers defense. Maybe they they don't know which way it's going to come from. This is the state that the Giants fan base is in right now. (laughs) Optimistically hoping that a guy off the couch can be an impact player for us uh, coming in here in week three, just signed on Wednesday. So they're they're talking about trying to get him some reps. It'll be interesting to see which way they go when it finally gets to game day. 
Uh, the other thing here is for me, just from purely from a 49ers perspective, you look at that division, obviously very crowded there. Uh, is this because of the opponent, in spite of the injuries, do the 49ers look at this as a little bit of a must-win game? I know you're going to get you're going to get divisional matchups along the way here, but you're in that Arizona Cardinals playing better coming out of the gates here. The Rams look good. The Seahawks look pretty strong here. This is a 11 or 12 win to take the division kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. Big picture, how concerned are the 49ers about when you look at the schedule and you just go, listen, we have to check off certain boxes here. We can't get guaranteed victories in the division. If you split those and go 500 on the year and coming off of that loss to the Cardinals, you you get to win against the Jets. Is it basically, hey, we go to New York twice this season. We get two wins this season. I think it has to be right now because you look at the schedules and it's going to get much tougher really after the first five or six games in the, the games that you think, Oh, well they can, they can beat green Bay. They handle them pretty well. Well, not without Bosa and Ford because they handle them because of the pass rush. So that's a totally different game. New Orleans games like that. So they absolutely have to win these games where they should. And you, you mentioned the division Arizona's two and oh, and I don't remember who they're playing the next three weeks, but there's certainly three very winnable games. They could end up five and oh, and just kind of fall into a 10 win season. The Rams look great so far. We'll see if they can keep it up, but they've looked really good the first two weeks. And listen, Russell, Russell Wilson, other than Patrick Mahomes, is 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 the best quarterback in the league. And you can even make the argument that he is the best quarterback in the league. I don't know that anybody's playing better than him right now. And Seattle looks like another team, like you said, 11 and 12 wins. So the Niners have to win these games. They absolutely have to. It'll be easier to get in the playoffs this year, obviously, with the extra spot. But if the Niners have any hope at the division, they have to win against the Jets. They have to win against the Giants. Those those have to be W's or they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, you mentioned Arizona there. They'll have the Lions, the Panthers, and then the Jets over their next three games. So to your point, right, looks like five wins should line up there pretty well for them, mm-hmm. at least right out of the gate. And, and, you know, the extra playoff spot does, what makes it interesting about that is it allows for a really crowded division like the NFC West to say, okay, you you could be a 10 or even 11 win team that misses the division misses the first wild card spot. And then you end up still getting in there and creating, you know, really dangerous matchups early in the playoffs. I, I don't know whether I love or hate the, the, the format of bringing in another new team, but what it does mean is you can get much more interesting matchups right at the start of the playoffs, as opposed to saying, Hey, this one should be a pretty easy lock. You can have a dangerous team when you, when you come out of division like that. Yeah, definitely. And and there's talent all through that division. And if the Niners can even get somewhat healthy by the end of the season, we know Bose mm-hmm. is not going to be there. We know Thomas isn't going to be there. But if they can get Ford back, maybe they pick somebody up at the trade deadline. Who, who knows to, to come in and help? They certainly did it last year with Sanders. But there, yeah, it's it's going to be out of that division. You could realistically have four teams fighting for the playoffs right to the end. You got the same thing in the NFC East. It's just not going to be in the same type of a way that you're seeing it out there. You could see teams really battling to seven and nine for the division. So that's what makes it exciting for us on, right. on our end. <laughs> yeah, in a much more different, more depressing way. It's, it's funny how as much as things change in different divisional winners in the NFC East, the Cowboys just for all of their talent every year seem to have these up and down types of seasons. You see the Eagles falling off here. It looks like questions about Carson Wentz. So as open as it, as it is, the giants still find themselves at Owen two and, and surprisingly not involved or unsurprisingly, you, you said it's a must win game. Do you think that this is the, the still very winnable game for San Francisco? And do you have, do you have an idea of where you see this game going? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be easy, but they'll come out with the win in my estimation. It'll probably be, you know, you're talking 
27-17, something like that. I think the Niners are still going to be able to score. I, I do. I think they're still going to be able to move the ball. Um, it's just, again, a matter of keep going back to it. Can can they rush the passer? Can they play the defense they want to play? That's 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 going to be the key. But they have to win the game. Got to win games like this. If they're not winning games like this, they're not winning anything this year. If they can't win a game like this, the Niners coming off in NFC Championship and with the deep roster they have with the Giants who are sort of rebuilding and trying to figure out who they are. If they can't win this game, how can they beat the Seattles? How can they beat the Rams? How can they beat the Packers? Things like teams like that. So it's, it's a must win for the Niners. I think they're going to find a way to do it. Yeah. And for very different reasons under a new head coach for the Giants, it's a must win for the Giants in the sense of so many injuries for the 49ers. And also you need to have some level of goodwill around a season going 0-3 when you have the Rams and the Cowboys lining up over the next couple of weeks. All of a sudden the Giants could be staring at an 0-5 and just another long season ahead. So Hopefully for our sake, Al, you're as far off the mark as you could possibly be here, (laughs) though we tend to find out most Sundays uh, when we do these crossovers that usually it's quality information and uh, another depressing day for the Giants. So we'll see how it shakes out. But uh, uh, thank you so much, first of all, for making some time to come on with us. We'll be looking forward to seeing how things shake out on Sunday. Where can everyone find you if they're looking for quality Al Sacco information uh, across all the spectrums of platform? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at alsacco 49 and I'm co-host of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. You can find that anywhere podcasts are found. And I also write for uh, 4thand9.com. Fantastic. Check them out there. Uh, again, many thanks for being with us, and hopefully some friendly banter and maybe some Giants taunting on Sunday over there on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, we'll, 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 we'll approach it early. We like to get in our taunts early in the game before anything's really on the table. And then later on, we get very quiet, very reserved, <laughs> simple tip of the cap, and we just try to move on to the next week. Whatever gets you through the game, man. Whatever gets you through the game. <laughs> Thanks again, Al. All right, no problem. Thank you. Coming out of that conversation, before we get in on some of the nitty gritty, I, I posed this to him and wondered, right? Is this the is this a must win game for the 49ers? And in that division, he highlighted you have that extra playoff spot, but it does become a little bit of a bigger game than you would have initially thought for the 49ers. They have uh, some easier games still over the course of their schedule, but some tough divisional matchups to go. Is it odd that this might be must win for both teams for incredibly weird and different reasons? You know, it, it's interesting uh, going into this week. I I I even said it on the, on one of the previous podcasts that this feels like a must win for the giants. Yeah. And then the more I digest it, the more I realized this game is actually more important for San Francisco than it is for New York. And I didn't think I'd be coming in saying that. And, and the reason why I'm saying that is our division stinks. The NFC East is not very good. The giants are one game out of first place right now and don't have a, uh, a division loss. So, you know, they lose the game. They can go to zero and three, which is never where you want to be. Um, but you still have about a 2.8% chance of being able to make the playoffs at 0-3. Well, Long shot, but you're telling me there's a chance, right? Well, as, I, as, I said, as I said to uh, Al, I go, yeah, listen, we may still be competitive in a very weird 7-9, and nine, could still win the division in the NFC like, I was like, same, 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 but different. You know, you guys need 12 wins to be competitive. We need six, and, and that's just the way that things shake out some years. Right, and think about it. You know, the, w- win or lose for the, for the New York football Giants this weekend, they have the Cowboys up next, and if they go to 1-3 and three and are undefeated in the division, they have a legitimate shot of actually making noise if they can beat the Cowboys. So, for me, this doesn't feel as much of a, as a must-win game as it does for San Francisco, who, as you pointed out, 
their division is loaded. The Rams, the Seahawks, the Cardinals. Oh my. Like they are legitimate. All of them are legitimate playoff teams. Mm-hmm. And it would be very difficult, you know, if they go to one and two and, and, you know, those teams, you know, follow suit and win their games. They're two games back of three teams in their division and they still have to play those teams in their division. Yeah, and they lo- and they're coming off a loss to one of those divisional teams on the, pa- right. on the previous week. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, on a quick side note, you, you mentioned it there about being one in three and going to play the Cowboys, right? So the Giants get San Francisco, then we'll have the Rams next week, followed by the Cowboys. Oddly enough, you know, while you while circumstances would say you want to try to win this one, and we're about to get into uh, the injuries for the San Francisco 49ers, but if you even if you just come out at if you come out one in three, no matter how you get there, as you go to that Cowboys matchup, if you could just walk into that game feeling like you have a shot to win, being two and three and getting the divisional win through five games, I mean, it feels like, like you're four and one. It feels like you're four and one yeah. if you're a Giants fan, which is yep. crazy. We're, where do I sign up for it, right? So, uh, listen, we, we we try not to get ahead of ourselves here. Let's get into this, uh, what we're referring to, obviously, as the walking wounded report. We talked about it at length there with Al. They're essentially, as he put it, practice squad running out there more than the starters. When you get into how many players are out here, I mean, let's just do the laundry list before we even talk about the impact of different positions and who's not going to be there. Um, we're, we're talking about Garoppolo, right, being held out concerns around the ankle so they're not going to risk it you're talking about missing starting running backs you're talking about already having been without Debo uh, at wide receiver and additional wide receivers going down then you get into the defensive side of the ball Andy where some big names are obviously not going to be on the field yeah so D Ford is is doubtful um you know their defensive tackle Solomon Thomas back on IR you look at Richard Sherman early on IR um you know there's a couple other questionable guys Greenlaw is is questionable Oh man, Bosa, Bosa might be a name worth throwing out there, as as we highlighted obviously with him. I'm burying the lead because yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, you know, having Nick Bosa out with the <clears throat> with the uh, torn ACL as well. I mean, they are crippled. They yeah. are they are absolutely crippled, decimated. I honestly can't remember an NFL team that has this many injuries that also had Super Bowl aspirations. Like those two things generally, you know, don't happen, and you expect you don't expect to see 10, 12. 13 starters on a single team be on IR or be out for this game. No, it's going to be a real test for them in terms of, are you a quality organization? Are you ready to go out there and plug and play as you may need to? Oh, live podcast. I avoided sneezing. And then I told you about it. Uh, the other, the, so the other way that we look at it now, you talk about all these injuries for them. How are they going to perform? We mentioned about that division, and like all of a sudden, this could be a team that goes from losing in the Super Bowl to missing the playoffs the following year, just based on not just schedule but also the injuries that they're handling. The key position here, we mentioned, of course, Bosa is going to be the big one on the defensive side, but offensively, they're plugging in Mullins. And this is what I liked, pulling that information out there uh, from Al as he highlighted some of the real positives around a player like Mullins and not necessarily feeling like you're going to get, listen, there's a drop off there. You're going to change the way you approach the game, but it's as much based on the personnel you're going to have available as well as the quarterback and his skill set. So to briefly recap it here, to say that he was going back to 2018 where he had eight starts, won three games. He had a 2.9% interceptable pass rate. That was good for sixth best in the NFL, fifth best in yards per attempt at 8.3, and fifth best in 2.4% bad pass rate. So what it tells me is you have a guy who, one, has been in the system, has some game experience, and understands how to, for the most part, protect the ball. He threw, as Al highlighted, 
uh, 10 interceptions, but it was only eight interceptable balls really over a 200 plus sample size. So the, shouldn't we want to take advantage of Mullins being in there? And are we going to take advantage of Mullins being in there? Well, I, I think Nick Mullins, like you said, has experience. He has started in the past. He played very well to the point where in 2018, you know, coming off that season, I thought they were going to potentially stick with him as the starter. I thought, I thought he was going to be the guy, yep. um, you know, and, and to illustrate how well he played during that 2018 season, put this in perspective. He had a better passer rating than Daniel Jones did last year. So that just, you know, if we're high on Daniel Jones, then we clearly need to, you know, show some respect to the Nick Mullins name, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think as you go through it now, and we talked about the key players there offensively, they signed uh, Muhammad Sanu, a veteran wide receiver. I think the, at the very least, what you say is, what do we get here? We get a guy that knows how to run the route trees. Again, connection to Atlanta with, uh, Kyle Shanahan from his time down there as well. So familiarity, plug and play inside of the system, give a security blanket. And then you think about the passing attack out of the backfield. So they're going to try to manage this thing by just utilizing your best weapons, right? And and try to probably control time of possession, be methodical about this thing and, and really force the issue for the Giants defense who has played well and yet has still found themselves on the losing side of a couple of games. When we move into those expectations for the New York football giants on both sides of the ball, where we'll continue to highlight some of those matchup issues that they may face. One of the things that, that has been, I want to say, you know, it's positive because our passing defense has been a little bit stronger than we anticipated this year for the most part. And yet, bottom third in the league in terms of run defense, allowing 276 yards on the ground. That's the ninth most in the NFL. And now the the silver lining here, maybe for the Giants is over the first two games, big plays, 10 plus yards, a 30 yarder against uh, the Steelers with Benny Snell. Then you had a 23 yarder for the Bears and David Montgomery. These big punch plays have shown up in the first two weeks. And there's some some level of confidence where you say, if we can mitigate those big plays, we've actually done a pretty good job containing the run game at the line of scrimmage. Well, I I also think, Adam, that stat has a lot to do with how the game plays out. You know, Mm -hmm. you look at the Chicago Bears, right? They are commanding the lead early against the New York football giants, and we're playing from behind the entire time. They're trying to manage time of possession. They're, They're running the ball much, much more than they're passing it. And so that just puts our, our defensive line, you know, a little bit more under pressure, but also just inherently they're going to end up giving more yards away. Teams don't have to pass as much when they're winning games or they're leading in the third or fourth quarter, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. This is predicated on what we're not doing well enough offensively. And that's been kind of the tragedy of our season so far as we didn't think that that was going to be as nearly big and big of an issue. Remember, too, we, we, we highlighted on the, on our Wednesday episode. We, we know no Saquon Barkley the rest of the year. You're going to be without Sterling Shepard for this game. As of right now, still nothing on the report as far as activating guys from the practice squad for the Giants. So as it exists, and we kind of got to this on the tail end of our ep- last episode, maybe it is going to be a bit more Evan Ingram out of the slot and, and working into that matchup, at which point you're talking about Quan Williams for the San Francisco 49ers, who, who plays over in that position there out of the linebacker spot and needing to maybe pick up Ingram at times, that may be the balancing act from a receiving standpoint for the Giants that they try to utilize against a depleted 49ers secondary. Do you 
I mean, there's there's two elements here, right? We we know about Bosa being out. Then you start to look at Armstead for them. Can he step up in in, in that run defense uh, area at the linebacking position? But receiving wise, quiet game from Slayton. We saw the shift for the Giants go very heavy into Evan Ingram target focus uh, on the back end of that Bears game after Shepard went out. We saw CJ Board actually have a nice handful of catches, look pretty quick in his route trees. What are the expectations here for the Giants offensive, or what do you want to see from them offensively in terms of having a balanced attack with a random new toy in the backfield in Devontae Freeman from the couch to the field? Well, you know, I was thinking about this last night um, in terms of how Saquon is such an offensive weapon, and everybody knows it. And so when you start making a game script or a game plan, you say, we have to get the ball into Saquon Barkley's hands as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And you almost have to do it with super, you know, super freakish athletic guys like him. You almost do it to a fault, right? Like you feel like you have to get him the ball because you don't want to turn around and at the end of the game say, why did Saquon Barkley only get nine touches today? Like you can't have that happen. So you actually script the game to say, we have to get him the ball, which then allows the defense to say, okay, let's match up against exactly what they want to do. Here, it's a little bit of a different situation where you, you actually don't have that one guy that you're like, okay, if we're San Francisco, we got to stop Golden Tate. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, like if you want to take Tate out of the game, that's fine. We have all these other weapons and we can pivot. So I feel like this, you know, it's it's a weird way of, of you know, not diminishing how great Saquon Barkley is, but just saying this might make us a little bit more unique in terms of how to defend us, because we can dump passes off to Deion Lewis. We can do two tight end sets with Caden Smith all of a sudden and and get a little bit more from the tight end position. There's a lot more creativity that we we can do. And I don't think Joe Judge will be criticized as much for how much usage each of these players is going to get. No, and that's I don't know if I was if it's a part of what I talk with with Al. I do some of the NFL coverage on Sportscaster where I was saying, though, when you have these unique weapons, you end up saying if you're a good team, if you're one of the elite teams and you have a singular talent like that, it's great because you're funneling the ball to him because you're so talented and you're so good and you want that to be the engine of your offense or, or your defense if you have a great safety, whatever it may be. But if you're not, if you're in the Giants situation where you're rebuilding, unfortunately, when you start to try to focus so heavily on one talent, it's like what we saw in week one, right? What does Tama come out and say? Listen, we're going to solely focus on shutting down Barkley and we'll live with the rest. And that makes it very difficult to have a balanced offensive game plan when teams are so singularly focused on shutting something down and you don't necessarily, at least early in the year for the Giants, we're optimistic about the offensive line. You don't have the talent to force that game plan right back at them and say, okay, you want to try to stop Barkley? We're going to jam him down your throat anyway, and you're going to have to make a new move. Now, there's there's no way to say you're better off without Barkley. But now, at the very least, if you trust Joe Judge, if you trust Jason Garrett, hey, listen, here's all these parts. Find a way to utilize all these guys at different points and in different ways that San Francisco has to keep making adjustments throughout the game. That's going to be the way that you try to dictate tempo a little bit, uh, especially in this game with the injuries that they're dealing with on the defensive side. Well, and, and the other thing I'm going to be interested to see is, you know, with Devonta Freeman, how many touches he gets, but also how he runs. We know yeah. that Saquon Barkley is a freak athlete that can get it outside and he can turn a two-yard loss into a 60-yard touchdown on any given play, whereas Devonta Freeman is not necessarily that type of guy where he's looking to break – 
the huge home run play by doing something crazy athletic. He's thinking, how do I get downfield, you know, downhill as quickly as possible, pick up as many yards as I can, catch balls out of the backfield and, and extend plays, yeah. you know, so it's going to be a different style of running behind Daniel Jones, where maybe we are going to be looking for three or four yards, a carry to, to move the offense, as opposed to the feast or famine, maybe that we were working with where, you know, you'll love the 70 yarder, but you hate the two or three yard losses trying to make big plays happen. Yep. Listen, let's let's sum it up here. What are, as we like to do, the key players for you in this game for the New York Football Giants? Give me your give me one on offense, give me one on defense. Who are the two players? And you can go a couple extra if you feel like you need to, but who are those players that are going to be pivotal on both sides of the ball for the Giants to have, I think, early success here? Early success in this game means then you can start to expect a win, right? Can't come out slow on the offensive side of the ball, as we've seen these first couple of weeks. So we'll start on offense. I think it's easy, and it goes without saying, that the backfield is going to be uh, an area of interest. Most people are looking at Deion Lewis. A lot of reports are coming out saying that he's going to be the featured back, uh, knowing that Devonta Freeman is, is getting into things. But I'm actually going to move it over to Golden Tate. And t- for me, listen, no Sterling Shepard. Darius Slayton is, is getting all the publicity. But Golden Tate is your veteran wide receiver. He is your wide receiver making $10 million a year. He is the guy that needs to come out and be that security blanket for Daniel Jones. If Darius Slayton is going to move the move down the field and he's going to be the significant vertical threat that he showed to be against the Pittsburgh Steelers, we need someone to be able to step up on the other side. And that could be someone like Evan Ingram. It could be Caden Smith in, in 12 packages uh, where they have two tight ends. But to me, Golden Tate is the guy. He's the veteran leader. He needs to be able to make tough catches and extend plays. Yeah. You know, he had five catches for 47 yards last week. I, I expect more from him. I, I He needs more than 47 yards a game. And so in this one, where we're going to be doing a lot of creativity, I do think we're going to be spreading around the ball. But I'm looking squarely at him to really help out Daniel Jones. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll go sub players here because I think that Tate's a great one, right? You're here. You're the veteran. This is your opportunity to, to really claim that kind of mantle of saying this is why you bring in a veteran wide receiver because he can help you move that ball so easily. You could go Evan Ingram. I think that'd be an easy one as well. You mentioned Darius Slayton. I'm going to go lower. I'm going to go lower level here and I'll do the, the two brief, the two brief sub guys to me. Caden Smith becomes really important. If you're flexing out Evan Ingram into the slot, potentially, then Caden Smith is going to be on the field even more. And I think that he can be that chain mover guy on third downs for Daniel Jones. So I'll be keeping an eye on him. And then I'll be honest with you. You mentioned about probably Lewis getting the start here and seeing how Freeman looks. I still, uh, this isn't me overhyping him or, or, or trying to put pressure on him to do something. I think Wayne Gallman still becomes a little bit of a key piece here because he still represents the power back for this trio right now. So some short yardage plays, maybe in and around the goal line because Freeman's coming in just off of a Wednesday signing, only has a couple of days before he gets into game action. I got to put the expectations on Gallman. May only be five or six carries in this game, but it could be the difference of converting third downs or having to punt. So that's where I'm going to look offensively for some of those little key contributions to help keep drives alive and help keep this offense moving early in the game. I think I think that's a good point, Adam. You, 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 talk, to, you talk about being able to sustain drives. We need to continue to keep moving the ball. We need time of possession. We can't have our defense on the field as much as they have been in the first two games. And moving to the defensive side of the ball, for me, I have one guy that I, I've circled, and it's Jabril Peppers. I okay. am sitting here saying he has the ability to change the game in the special teams area with some of these different punt returns. 
he has looked great and he's looked athletic and he's been able to move the ball pretty significantly. I also think knowing that, that they have a backup quarterback in for the San Francisco 49ers, knowing that they are going to want the run game to be established with Jared, Jared McKinnon, um, Jeff Wilson is going to be back there as well. I want to see Peppers up in the box making plays in the backfield. And I'm leaning on him and, and thinking that, you know what, our defensive line is going to be fine. I think, you know, Dexter Lawrence is going to be fine. Donald Thomas and Leonard Williams, they're going to be good. Where I think we can get game-changing plays is from a guy like Peppers. You, you called love last week. I'm calling Peppers to step in and either force a turnover or make a big play on defense. I love it. Yeah, because I think you you need, do need to look to this secondary and say, uh, we highlighted those stats from Mullins, right? Guy's going to take care of the ball. But when that chance comes, you got to be ready to capitalize on it. We obviously were really excited about what we saw from Bradbury. Had great, beautiful interception down the sideline. Created the interception for Julian Love that I was asking for. You mentioned about uh, the defense up front there. Obviously, we like getting four sacks against the Chicago Bears uh, and Mitchell Trubisky last week. I like looking inside and seeing those tackles for a loss. Two from Fackrell, one from Carter. B.J. Hill even got in there on the tackle for a loss brigade. But when you talk about those sacks, and you mentioned it, right? You got Fackrell, Carter, Hill, you even get Martinez. That makes up your four sacks from last week. What I wouldn't mind seeing here, though, even though you got those pressures on Trubisky, I do actually, I want to see Dexter Lawrence in the backfield eating it up. I, I want to see I want to see him get in the backfield and get a couple of sacks in this game. I think that we talk about how they've done a solid job creating opportunities for the linebacking core to come in, but I want pressure up the middle in the face of Mullins. Let's put pressure on him to get rid of that ball quickly and maybe feed into an opportunity for a guy like your Bill Peppers to capitalize on the back end. So while on at the end of the day, I may not end up getting the sacks that I want, I can look at this stat line on the back end, look at the box score and say, pressures from Dexter Lawrence, right? Pressures from Tomlinson, pressures from Leonard Williams. Get close, get get home if you can, but I, I still want to see more consistent pressure because there were too many stretches in that Chicago Bears game where they were still able to have a little bit of methodical movement on the offensive side of the ball. Need to be disruptive up front to create opportunities for the rest of the defense. Yeah, I mean, my big challenge with with looking at Dexter Lawrence or looking at the defensive line to be the catalyst for, for game-changing plays is that the offensive line is is not in bad shape for the 49ers. You have yep, 100%. Trent, Trent Williams as, as the left tackle. He is a, a, a stalwart who um, played so well for the Washington football team for so many years. He is great. It doesn't matter how old he is. He you know he, he secures the blind side for any quarterback there in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And you have Mike McGlinchey uh, uh, on the right-hand side at right tackle. Younger guy was, was the ninth overall pick in the 2018 draft, but he's showing some promise. You know, I think his PFF grade – so far, has been around the 61 or 62. So he's been more than serviceable. So if you know our edge rushers are going to be going against them, I'm looking for that secondary to come in and try to make plays, blitzing, you know, free shots yep. at the quarterback type of situation. No, a hundred, a hundred percent. And like you say, if there's one area that that adds up to at least making it a difficult matchup, it's that the offensive line is strong, experienced quarterback on this roster. So you're you're going to get continuity there from the 49ers. It's going to take a full effort on both sides of the ball. That's why you say step up, Slayton, get a bounce back game here. Remember, Sherman is out for them as well on the defensive side. There's opportunities to expose a lot of matchups. So this comes down to me. If we go off of the players, I say this is about Jason Garrett, right? Let's see how you scheme to take advantage of those opportunities offensively. Same thing for Patrick Graham. 
figure it out. What are you going to do here to expose the weaknesses based on the injuries that we have seen? Obviously, we're going to come back in on Sunday morning, as we always do, and give you our game predictions. You can, of course, follow us at One Giant Podcast, not only on Twitter, not only on Instagram and Facebook. You can also go over to Sportscaster and follow us there doing our live streams Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8.30 a.m. with the podcast dropping at high noon all three of those days as well. Tune in on Sunday morning. We'll talk those game picks. We'll talk about those over-unders. We'll talk about charcuterie and beverages on a Sunday in Woodridge. Buddy, I can't wait to see you on Sunday for the game and tell the people what they need to do. As always, let's go Big Blue. Bang!